this weekend we're going to talk about, um, well, a lot about engaging in the body of Christ. And so um, I don't think of myself as really being a teacher, but I do feel like God gave me some really clear things to share with you. And so I'm just going to um, share about what has been going on with me in the last few years. And um, I feel like I've kind of been in a bit of a pressure cooker of teaching <laughs> from the Lord, which has been really awful and really awesome all at the same time. So um, anyway, I, I've been really encouraged by the words you guys shared during the worship time because um, it seems like somebody stole my notes or something. No. Um, all right. Well, um, yeah, I live in Oklahoma City. Uh, my husband pastors Frontline Church. It's um, a church in the downtown area, and we have a congregation that meets on our south side and a congregation that meets in a little town called Shawnee, um, a little under an hour's drive away. And then um, Anna, who is my sister-in-law, but also um, her husband is one of our elders, my brother, he is going to plant another congregation in um, the north side of our downtown in Edmond. And um, I, it's so funny because when we first met the Mallory's, we felt we loved them right away, but we felt like family, and it was so weird because I have a little niece named Jubilee, so it was so weird. I was like, "Oh my gosh, we have all these things that it's like family." Um, let's tell you a little bit about us. We planted our church um, under some kind of yucky circumstances. Um, the pastor that my husband was working for at the time, um, he he, my parents in the '70s came to the Lord under his ministry, and as an infant, well, more as a toddler, I was dedicated to the Lord under his ministry. Um, my husband and I were married by him. My children were both dedicated to the Lord at that church. Um, we had spent a long time growing up there and got married there and were working there. And um, we went through some circumstances where um, we were pretty publicly rejected. And my husband was fired over some um, just yucky, like worst case scenario, yucky church staff stuff that was just wrong. But in the end, it was really a rescue for us, and we saw God's hand in it, and it was amazing time. Um, really hurtful, really awful rejection, but at the same time, God was really working on our own hearts and showing us some things that he wanted to change. So we're kind of floating out there, and God really told us he wanted us to plant a church in Oklahoma City. And so we obeyed and started in our living room, and by his grace, it was growing, growing, growing. We rented a place, and we grew, 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 and then we rented another place, and grew, 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 and we're doing all these services to try to fit everybody, and um, it was a good time, but it was a crazy time. And in church planning, it's hard because you're trying to obey the Lord, and you're trying to do all the things he wants you to do and build the kind of church he wants you to build, but at the same time, you've got lots of opinions, and any of you guys who have worked on a church staff know it can get kind of crazy, and um, we lost a lot of friendships and a lot of family friendships. Um, people had, would, had helped us plant, and then over time, they either didn't like the direction the church was going, or they found a church they liked better. And so to watch friends go and move on, it, it was taking a toll on me. I don't think I realized. Um, and I was kind of internalizing a lot of that rejection and took it very personally. Like, well, don't they like what we're building here? And don't they like our vision? And it was just really difficult um, so I don't think I was probably processing that really well and not really realizing how rejected I had felt. Then um, in, I think it was about 2006, maybe, I'm not sure if my, our joke in my our house is, I can't math. <laughs> I can't math. But um, anyway, my son's almost 10. He was, the summer he was five years old. We had the, our, the Oklahoma City Marathon at the time, our building, um, the, the finish line was right in front of our building. So we couldn't even have church that day. It was crazy to even get to church. And um, so we would just move all the chairs out, and we'd set up, like, snow cone machines and just make it all the runners could come in and use the bathroom. And we just did, like, a fun Sunday. Well, the worship team would do 
like more um, kind of crossover, just fun, all praise, real loud set, just to kind of entertain people, but also people who wanted to worship could come in and just kind of made this fun, free-flowing thing. Well, that morning, my son had said, um, Mom, I have a headache, which now that is the worst symptom of all time to hear a kid say to me, because it's like kids, they throw up in your car or they have snotty noses, but they don't really get headaches. And so I didn't really believe him. I thought he was just maybe tired. I got him up too early for church. Um, well, that was the beginning of what became viral meningitis, and, um, which was bad enough. <laughs> but we went to the hospital, and it was like, no, this is crummy. It's a virus. We can't really do anything. We've got to let it run its course. We'll just give him a lot of morphine, and we'll just wait it out and watch him. So um, we were in the hospital for, I think, about a week, and I just, kept, I just really didn't think it was a big deal. So this is the enemy, and we're just going to press through and pray, and no big deal. Well, about a week later, we had this really neat male nurse who came in, and he, I loved him because he was just a straight shooter. And he said, uh, he's doing some neuro stuff that's kind of bothering me. And I had just been kind of waiting for him to wake up because he'd just been completely knocked out on morphine. And so he, I remember this nurse, it was so clear, he grabs the sheet and goes, Whoosh! and my son, who's this little, you know, five-year-old body, is curling. Like his, everything's curling, like brain trauma is happening. And so it was just reality. Well, what had happened was we ended up being in the hospital for a month. We were in ICU, I think a couple weeks, maybe a week and a half. And um, he had what is a super rare immune disorder where his, you have to have a virus first and it triggers this where your, your immune system thinks that your brain is the virus. And so his own immune system was desheathing the myelin in his brain like a real bad MS attack. Cool thing about it is it's a one-time occurring thing bad thing about it, they were showing me videos in the hospital to make me feel better of kids who had recovered, and it was like, you know, severe, um, I mean, like kids who couldn't move half their body, kind of like like stroke victim type stuff with these little bitty kids on the playground, and they were like, see, he can be okay, and I was like, he was riding his bike a month ago, that's not okay, so um, that was just, it was really awful and horrible, and um, I think we were just fighting, and and really trying to press through, and Lord, you can do this, you can heal him, and we had a lot of awesome faith, and there was great words from people throughout that whole time, Um, but it wasn't until he was better. We spent that summer doing rehab, and he actually started school with his class that fall. It was a complete miracle, and if you met him today, he's super tall for an almost 10-year-old, really healthy, and you would never know anything had ever happened to him, but I couldn't really process what the heck had just happened it took me a couple months, and all of a sudden I found myself just kind of like shell-shocked and still having this church of all these people to minister to and needs and people to love on and stuff to organize. And um, I started thinking, I noticed I just had this kind of base fear all the time. Like, what's going to happen next? If that could happen, what could be coming for me? You know, that if that can happen to my child, I don't know if I just had never thought something bad could happen to me, but I was shocked to find myself just you know, what's going to happen next? Is, you know, who's going to leave next? Or what family is going to be mad next? Or um, who will be disgruntled? Or who will get sick? Or, you know, what will I have to face? So I want to talk um, today about what do we do with those feelings? What do we do with bad things when they come our way? Um, one of the things that God started showing me as I came out of that time and was really noticing my heart was that... Um, my trust in God was completely tied to my circumstances. And so if good things were happening, then God loved me and he was good. If bad things or negative circumstances, if I believe they were negative, they might not have even been negative, but if I believe they were negative, 
God might not be good and he might not love me. And it was really a shock to me to figure out, wow, that's really my heart, which is completely and totally unbiblical in every way, and I'm the pastor's wife. <laughs> so um, the, part of the, the issue with me was realizing, okay, so why do I believe this? In the early church, I mean, the Apostle Paul and Christians were constantly having to deal with hardships. So what was it in my thinking that I was so disturbed by my own hardships when they came? So um, go ahead. we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read you guys a scripture real quick. And I'm hoping I have enough light without glasses, because I'm vain. Okay, um, so this is chapter 4. We're going to read verse 16, 17, and 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or not lasting, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I know there's probably some of you guys in this room who have endured far worse than the stuff I just mentioned. Um, Those were kind of my button pushers that I think God really had a plan for me to work some of this out. Um, But I'm aware some of you guys have had some probably pretty horrible things to walk through in life. Um, and I don't want to discount that. Um, in our church, I think this past summer was the first summer in three years. We haven't had somebody's infant drowned in a swimming pool. Um, horrible. There's horrible things. Um, we had the huge tornado that just came through. We had multiple families lose absolutely everything, their homes, their cars, everything. We had one family who lost their home in the 99 tornado, rebuilt everything and lost everything again. What is that? Two homes. And I mean, thankfully, they, they're strong believers and they thought, well, you know what? It's just stuff, but it's still hard. It's off all your pictures and everything twice. <laughs> um, so if circumstances determine our joy, what I've come to realize is if that can determine our joy, then really we're worshiping circumstances and not Father God. So um, the gospel does not promise us a life free from negative circumstances. In fact, the Bible does warn us to be ready for them and be prepared in Jesus, right? So Jesus' work on the cross gives us hope regardless of whatever circumstances come. And so I want to talk tonight about living in a greater reality beyond circumstances. Um, So really there were two lies that came out of looking at my heart after those situations. And the first one was that God owes me. Um, that's really where I was coming from. And you guys, you guys know the prodigal son story, right? So there's the father and he's got these two sons and the younger son wants his inheritance ahead of time because he just wants to go party it all away. So he takes father's, okay, gives it to him. He goes off and he, um, just wastes it all. It's all gone. And he comes to the you know end of his rope to the rock bottom. And he realizes, man, it was better to be at my father's house and be a servant there than to live like I'm living now with nothing. So he decides, I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to ask my dad, please let me just be a servant in your house. I just want to be home. And the older brother is, you know, he's faithful, he stays, he works for the father. Well, so the younger son's coming home, the father sees him from afar, he's so happy, runs, puts his robe on him, gives him a ring, so thankful he's home, throws a huge party, welcome home, I'm so glad you're, you were dead, now you're alive. So the older brother is outside, he's like, I'm not going into that party. So when the father comes out to entreat him and says, why won't you come in? Your brother's home. He says, you never gave me a fattened calf. You never gave me a goat to have a party with my friends. And the father says, 
all I've had has always been yours. It's always been yours. But the older brother, which I was, <laughs> the older brother, um, he is coming from a place of dead religion. He's coming from a place of, I want to work and be rewarded with happiness. But that's not God's plan, and that's not how God works. That's self-glory. That's worshiping Jesus as a means to get stuff from him and not him. And he's the treasure, and he's the peace, and he's better than all the stuff. Um, so I was in that place of really believing that. I was holding God hostage because I had been a really faithful, good kid. I had been a good teenager. I had never given my parents a hard time. I had done everything right, um, which was a good thing. But my perspective, God owed me. I, nothing bad should happen to me because, darn it, I've been so great. <laughs> um, have you guys seen the movie Gran Torino? It's one of our favorites. And um, do you remember in the movie, that, you know, Clint Eastwood's this grumpy old man, and uh, he's this Korean war vet. He's by himself. Um, he's just awful. He's so mean to everybody. Well, if you've seen the movie, he ends up kind of rescuing these teenage kids, these Asian kids who live next door to him from kind of these neighborhood thugs and rough circumstances. And so um, they just start to love him, and they start to reach out to him, and they want to be with him. And um, Tao is the, the teenage boy next door. And so uh, the old man, he starts kind of teaching him about tools and just spending time with him. Well, over time, he just comes to love these people because they just love him so well. They're feeding him and being with him. And um, at one point, his actual family comes to visit, and he's got kind of crummy kids and real bratty grandkids, and his grandkids are kind of hassling him for his car. And he's got this Gran Torino in the garage, which is shiny and beautiful, and he wants the car. Well, at the end of the movie, he gives this beautiful car to Tao, who's not even his flesh and blood, because Tao loved him, and just he didn't want the car. He just wanted to be with him. Tao never even thought that that car would be his. And that was really, I kind of had that attitude of that of his actual teenage daughter that was like, I just, just give me the car. I don't really want to be with you. I don't want to come visit you and spend time with you. You don't teach me anything. Just give me your cool car. But Jesus went to the cross so that we could be with him again. The veil was torn so we could come and be with him because he's the treasure and he's the prize. Um, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There aren't any works good enough to earn what Jesus paid for on the cross. This is the gospel and it's so good. The news is we can't earn it, so we can't unearn it. We never did it. We brought nothing to the table. <laughs> There's no exchange. All we exchanged was our sin and our brokenness, and we got pff, the robe and the ring, just like the younger son, and just like the older son had all along and didn't really know it and didn't really want it. Um, let's see. Let's turn to Romans 8. I want to read you guys Romans 8, um, verse 1. And you can just listen and write it down if you want to and not have to look it up. <clears throat> All right. So, first lie, God owes me. The second lie for those who belong to Jesus and are in Jesus is that God's punishing me when negative circumstances come and I'm having to deal with negative circumstances. He must be punishing me for something I've done. He must be punishing me for my sin. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free <laughs> in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. (laughs) See, the older brother, he wants us to work and atone for our own sins. Religion wants us to try to work and atone for our sins and discount what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we just can't. We aren't good enough. We aren't perfect enough. Only a perfect lamb could pay for our sin and bring us back to the Father. And the reward is we get to be back with the Father again. Remember John 3.16 says, God loved us, so he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. Well, we know it, but he gave Jesus. Um, a lot of that time when my son was in ICU, I was just like fight or flight, stir crazy. And my husband, Josh, would say, why don't you just go walk? And so I would leave in our, the hospital we were at is kind of a big um, campus type hospital. And there was these four streets that just kind of was a quadrant around it. So I would just walk, you know, and try to, I had all this energy and you're sitting there in this little hospital room and, you know, watching your kid. And he was so sick. He was on one of those beds where they weigh him every couple times a day, you know, just to see if he dropped weight. He had a feeding tube down his nose and his eyes were all sunken and I just, I mean, I was praying crazy things because you're just like, Lord, come, Lord, come, you know, do this. And I remember I would, you know, I was praying and just, I would, all I could say sometimes was no, 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 no. <laughs> or things like the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Just anything I could grab for my faith to, to hold on to. And um, we had, I had this conversation with the Lord. It wasn't so much a conversation. It was me just telling him what he was going to do. And um, I said, <laughs> I don't want that testimony. I don't want the testimony of the mom who loses her kid and loves you anyway and serves anyway. I regret praying that because I don't know. um, I wonder, you know, if I had had the faith, I don't know if God had more to do and more to teach our congregation and me through that. But that's where I was at at the time. I don't want this story. Give it to somebody else. I don't love you that much, really. That's what I was praying and saying. Um, and so months had gone by and when I kind of started processing and realizing how totally freaked out I was about bad circumstances and that they were coming for me, (laughs) they were coming for me in my future. Um, the Lord just so sweetly said, remember when you were walking and I remembered the road I was on. I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. (laughs) Do you remember what you prayed? Do you remember when you said that you didn't want that story and that you couldn't give your only son away? It's like, yeah, I remember saying that. Totally not connecting it. And he goes... (laughs) I did. And it was like, oh, you did. I wasn't willing. I wasn't willing to give my son, but he gave his son for me that I could have life and be with him. Blew my mind. Um, Isaiah 53. You guys don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you real quick. This is Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. Speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, As one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. I mean, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed." So he was rejected. He was despised. He was cut off so that we wouldn't have to be rejected. We wouldn't have to be despised. And we're not cut off. We're daughters now. Daughters in his house. Um, In the trials, if our eyes are on our circumstances and they're not on God, 
we're not aware of what he might be at work doing in us. And if we're thinking about negative circumstances, even in the joyful times, even in the times when we're surrounded by blessing, we can't even thank him because we're going to be so afraid of what's coming next, what might happen. And that's kind of where I was stuck, even probably for a couple years after coming out of all this. Um, So God doesn't owe us. That was the first lie. Second lie, God's not punishing us. If we're in Christ Jesus, all the wrath was at the cross. God paid for it all with his life. So what is the unseen circumstance, right? Um, Let's look back at um, 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read it to you one more time. Oh, here, I'll just read it right here. So, as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what is that? What are the things that are unseen? What's eternal? Um, I found myself talking to my husband a lot about, man, you know, I, I picked this house. I picked all this furniture. We've, we've fashioned our life how we felt like the Lord would want us to have it, but I just, I just want to go home. And I'm the adult. I'm the mom here, and I just want to go home. I just kept feeling that. Not home to my parents' house, but I just had this longing. Like when you are a kid and you go spend the night for the first couple times, and you're just like, okay. When it's bedtime, we were having fun, and now I just want to go home. I'm homesick. It was that same feeling. And, um, and just trying to process it and talk it through with my husband, he said, well, you know, Nancy, Jesus is home. This isn't our home. We, we aren't citizens here. We're here for just a short while, and we have an assignment from the Lord here. And then I was thinking during that song, we were all singing so sweetly the last uh, verse of Amazing Grace, and you could just hear all our voices. Man, we're going to be with each other forever, you know? Worshiping, dancing, shouting before God. We're here such a short time. This is a little touch that during that verse, it's like you get these little glimpses of eternity, and you go, oh, I, I hear us by the millions you know? Um, so there is, an, there is a reality bigger than what we're looking at. Um, there's a quote, um, Sam Storm is a really neat pastor in our town, and there's a quote from him I want to read you. He says, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering, but it's the presence of God. So whatever comes, it's, we are never, ever alone again. No matter what comes, he's with us. His Holy Spirit lives inside of us who believe. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead walks around with us to commune and speak with us and teach us and help us through whatever comes. So whatever comes, he's there. Grace is there to deal, to learn, to walk. Um, so the cross changes everything. I, um, I'm like a crazy thrift store junkie. And you might think you are, but you are not. <laughs> I am crazy. Like people will call me, I'm looking for a red couch. And I'm like, okay, well, there's on the south side, there's the one, like, I know. So it's a problem, but I love it. So um, I met this thrift store. This is kind of during that time when I was just kind of starting to be aware of my own heart and what I was thinking. And um, there's this book, and I'm not even a huge reader. I mean, I'll read if I need to know something, but um, not for pleasure usually. But there's this book sitting there, and it's this lady on the cover, and it's kind of like today was. It's all kind of rainy, snowy, cold looking, and she's got this big sweater on and her coffee, and it just, everything about it was so appealing. I was like, ooh what is she doing? And I want to go there. And I just, so this book's like 25 cents and I start looking at it. Well, everything about it sounded great. So I took it home and I started reading it and um, I'm not recommending it. I'm just going to tell you about it. I won't even tell you the title. So she is an atheist um, chaplain, who knew, for um, the Maine Forestry Service. 
<laughs> and her job is to, in crisis, she goes with the forestry ranger guys, and she's just there for the family of whatever's going on. So this whole book is like chapter after chapter of her telling these stories of these crazy circumstances she's been involved in, and she changes all the names and stuff. But um, so one of the stories, you know, there's a family and the, the dad goes missing. He falls through the ice on a snowmobile, and she just talks about me. She was there and talks about how the people were freaking out, so worried about their dad. And um, the story's never really had a final ending. It was like, and that's what happened to them. And then these people, and, then she, and you're just like, oh. But it's like, you know, it's, it was totally intriguing, so I, I read the whole thing. Um, one of the reasons she became a chaplain was because her husband had been one of the rangers, and he was killed in a car accident right after leaving their house one morning. Um, and she had, I think her son was like 13, pretty significant age. I mean, any age would be horrible to lose your daddy as a kid. Um, but so he seemed, I just remember being like, oh gosh, what a bad age. Um, and then there were some other kids too. Well, so she, she tells this whole story about, you know, and my kids were saying, where do you think dad is now? And this is her great solution was, well, dad really loved tigers. So, um, maybe he got to become a tiger and that she, that was her really encouraging thing. And so I just, I remember just sitting the book down and thinking, where are those kids? <laughs> How do I find them to fix this? <laughs> but I set it down and I thought, my God, that is um, life without Jesus and the truth of the cross. There is no hope at all. And so it was such a sweet thing the Lord did for me where I realized, you know what? We, on this side of heaven, Junk is going to happen. We're in a fallen world. We're affected by other people's sins. Sometimes we're affected by our own mistakes. So it doesn't really matter what it is that is causing our negative circumstances. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's our own mistakes. But in Jesus, we're never alone again. And he's never going to leave us to walk stuff out by ourselves. And whatever's coming, good will come and bad. And he's with us through it all. And we can rejoice in him and celebrate um, so what does the cross change, really, about our circumstance? What is the unseen circumstance? What's true? Well, it's true we're here for a really short time, and we have something to do while we're here. Every single person in this room, there's a reason you were born right now. There's a reason you're here right now, because God has a plan for you. If you're still here and you haven't passed on, your work's not done yet, right? So um, Jesus, I'm just going to read through these. Jesus dealt with sin at the cross. The Father is for us. We're daughters. We're not enemies of God anymore. We're his kids in his house. We have his righteousness as a gift. It's not our own. We don't have to earn it. Um, he not only loves the future you and who you're going to be, he loves you now. And he loves the past you who made a lot of mistakes. He loves you where you are right now without any works involved. If you could do nothing else again for him, if you were completely incapacitated, didn't change his love for you, and it wouldn't change his love for you. Um, he dealt with Satan. Darkness isn't in charge of us. It has no authority over us. The God of the universe who made Everest and the oceans and fingerprints and everything, he oversees your soul, right? He's in charge of you. He's our shield and our refuge. At the cross, Jesus dealt with death. So, there's no fear in, in the future. There's not even fear of death because death, there's no punishment in it for us, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Um, the New Testament describes death for us as going to sleep. Uh, God has our days numbered. They're 
in his hand. He, he knows the hair on our head. He knows the day we were born. He knows the day we'll die. Um, one day we'll all get new bodies in eternity. <laughs> the worst the world could ever do to us would just kill us. Would only result in our ultimate glorification and we'd be right with him, celebrating and dancing um, and reflecting him perfectly without all these junky bodies. Um, I want to read Romans 14, 8. I love this scripture. This has brought me so much life and hope. <clears throat> For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Um, my husband always jokes and he says, none of us are getting out of here alive. <laughs> And it is true, you think of all the great miracles in Scripture, the people who were raised from the dead, even Lazarus, eventually he died, right? And he went to go be with the Lord in heaven. And um, the people who were raised, the, the guy who was in the procession and Jesus walked up and ruined a perfectly good funeral, <laughs> raised him from the dead, eventually he went home to the Lord, right? So we're all, we all have a number of days, and we have to make them count. We have to value them for what they are. Um, part of healing for me was to realize there's, you know, my husband and I and our two kids, and at some point, three of us will say goodbye to one of us. And at some point, two of us will say goodbye to one of us. And at some point, one of us will say goodbye to one of us. And that's okay. Because in Jesus, it's not goodbye forever. It's see you later. It's you accomplished what God had for you for this time. And that's really good news. Nothing can snatch us from the Lord's hand. John 10, um, verse 28 through 30, no one can snatch us from his hand. His love for his kids is the ultimate reality, no matter what circumstances come. So I can't let you guys get out of here without um, a Proverbs 31 scripture, because <laughs> it's a women's event. Um, Proverbs 31, 5, she smiles at the future. Some uh, Bibles say, she laughs at things to come. Well, how can we do that? How can we laugh at things to come? Even if hard things come, they're for God's glory and for our good. And that's awesome to stand before God and say, remember how hard that was? Here's all the things I was doing. And sometimes we don't know all the details of it. We don't know. But um, I come to realize, like, even in the hard things and even in... Um, some of the people in our church losing their own kids. Some people lost their kids. They didn't get a miracle like me. And um, why? Why? Well, a lot of times there are people that you don't even realize are watching your life and s watching you suffer, and they're saying, wow, how can, how can she have hope? How can she still even go on? Because we're, it's just transient. It doesn't last. There's a greater glory. There's a greater reality. Everything we're doing unto Jesus on this earth right now lasts. Nothing's wasted. Nothing. Um, I'm going to read to you um, in closing Romans 8, 28. This is verse, uh, I'll read 28 and then I want to read 31 through 39. Um, you can turn if you want or just listen. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We all know that. But people usually stop there and they don't keep reading. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So no matter what comes, our reality is that we have been purchased by Christ's blood as a completely free gift. We didn't do anything to earn it. We just said yes. And we handed over our darkness and our sin, and we took his righteousness. And so now we're daughters in his house, and he holds us in life and death, and he has our moments, and he knows what he's doing, and he's good, and he's out to make us like Jesus, and he's out to bring glory to his name through our lives. Um, so that's what the cross accomplished, and that's our ultimate circumstance. So yeah, I'll probably have to walk through some rough things, right? And probably you will too. But God will be with us. He knows our days. He's not scared. He's not running, wringing his hands. He won't be surprised. He knows our future. And it's going to be okay because we're in him. So um, I want to pray for us. But I also want to ask, and some of you may not be in Christ. As I'm talking, you may just think, you know, I'm not really in him. I don't really know what she's talking about. I don't know what it means to not be afraid of the future and to be secure or what the cross really did for me. And if you want someone to pray with you and talk about that, that would be an awesome night to do it because I know there's ladies here who would do that with you. Um, I never want to assume you guys all just know. So um, let me let me pray for us first and then I'll give us some instructions. King Jesus, thank you so much for the cross. God, we thank you that you um, came after us when we were your enemies and we were against you. God, we thank you that you came after us when we didn't even want you and you sought us out and you chose us and you snatched us up. God, we thank you that you breathed your life into us. You gave us eternal life. God, we thank you that um, our life goes on and on and that we'll spend eternity with you. And so, God, we thank you for the reality that even if hard circumstances come, you're going to walk with us, you're going to be in it, and you're going to give us what we need to handle and to learn and to be with you. God, we thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us. We thank you, God, that um, we don't have to hold you hostage with our actions, but you're merciful. And God, you don't owe us. You paid the ultimate price. And God, we thank you for it. We thank you for the cross. We love you so much, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you took our punishment. There's no more punishment for us. We don't have to pay. You paid. And when you look at us, Father God, you see cleanliness because we're covered in Jesus' righteousness. 
We thank you, God, that we have belonging and placement. We thank you that we're in your house. We thank you that no matter what our days hold, you're with us. And we ask, Father God, that it would bring glory to your name. And we honor you in Jesus' name. If any of you um, are struggling with hardships and um, circumstances that are not your ideal, um, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. Um, and I would love for tonight, just for us for a little while before we go outside, to, to surround our sisters who might be really struggling with some hard things um, and surround them, lend them some faith, <laughs> and build them up. Um, and then tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about um, how we can function in the body of Christ.